Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Superbloom Podcast has merch. Yes, I want to remind you, if you've not seen this on my socials or the podcast socials, you asked, we delivered, we got merch. But just for a short period of time, May 24th is the last day to order Superbloom Podcast merch. So go check it out. Go check it out on my socials at Candace King or at a Superbloom pod on Instagram. We have all the links there so you can shop for hats, some totes, really cute sweatsuits, sweatshirts, get you all cozy and ready for the sun. There's even a super bloom candle. If you just like want to waft in your super bloomness, you know, all the things, all the things. So check it out. Last day to order is May 24th. Go check us out on the socials and you can get yourself some merch. Welcome to a Super Bloom podcast. My name is Candace King, and we are talking about my favorite subject in the entire world today, television. I love television. This is a love affair that has been happening for a very long time in my life, really from the get-go. If you listen to this podcast, if you've listened to it from the very beginning, you know that I talk about TV a lot and my love of television. I have actually highlighted in many of these openers <laughs> about various TV shows and actors and writers that have really made a huge impact in my life just from me sitting down in front of the big blue box and being captivated and taken away to another world, you know, a beautiful form of escapism for some. And for me, it's just really a lifestyle. 
just being a TV fan is a lifestyle. I miss the water cooler days of talking. I miss the days when you could just go every single week and know that there would be an episode of television that you could anticipate and look forward to. And you got to just like eat a piecemeal, like one bite at a time. And it would last throughout the whole year. And it would just build this anticipation to the season finale. I miss those days. The the binging style is really tough for me, but you know, you know, beggars can't be choosers and I beg for as much TV as possible. I love TV. We are in a very committed relationship and that's why I am also very supportive of what's happening in television right now because I love good TV and in order to have good TV, we need writers. That is the root of all good television and let me tell you, this is coming from an actor. I think writers are the coolest people in the entire world. I have many friends that are writers. And my favorite place besides sitting in front of a uh, TV screen is sitting at a dinner table with writers whom I love and adore and respect and just hearing them talk about the business and what they do and storytelling So that's what we get to do today. I'm so excited. And if you're wondering, what Candace, record scratch, what is the, what do you mean writer's strike? What, what does that mean? Well, we're going to get into that today too. The last time there was a writer's strike was in about 2007, 2008. You'll maybe your, your memory will be jogged by some of the things that we discussed today, but a really infamous moment was just Conan spinning his wedding ring on television because there were no writers. The writers went on strike for very important reasons, which they are striking again for just as many, if not more important reasons today. And we are going to hear about all of that from a writer because he will explain it way better than I can. I have been really looking forward to this episode. Um, I have been a fan of Dan Perlman's work. I uh, am sad to say that we can't necessarily watch it right now, and we're going to get into why uh, that is as well. But if you just heard Dan Perlman and you don't know who that is, let me let me tell you about Dan. Dan Perlman is a comedian, a writer, and a director from New York City. He is the co-creator, writer, star of Showtime's critically acclaimed comedy series, Flatbush Misdemeanors, which you can't see right now on Showtime. We're going to talk about it, but Dan is posting tons of clips from it on his social media. So if you listen to this episode, you want to know more about Dan or you want to watch parts of the show, which is now what I've been left to do, just head over to his Instagram. His handle is at Dan J. Perlman. Dan is also a stand-up comedian. He's been featured on Comedy Central and was named one of the new faces at the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival. He's a regular at the famed Comedy Cellar in NYC. That is short for New York City for anyone like me who's from Florida. And it's just like NYC. No, I'm kidding. Take that part out, Mel. See, I'm not funny. Mel, you might have to. This is what happens. I'm like anticipating, you know, comedy, comedian coming on. And I'm like, ha this will be funny. Too much. I'm, I'm leaning too much on Florida. And now I'm just tearing myself down in all my comedy chops. So please, you know, d- delete this Mel or leave it in and just uh, let me completely bomb on this mic, which we're also going to talk about in today's episode, the importance of bombing on stage. And now I just get to do it here. All right, moving on. Uh, if you do live in New York City, Dan has a show at Sesh Comedy on May 30th. So go check that out. That is coming up. And, you know, without further ado, let's just jump into, let's just jump into it. Let's just dive in. Let's just dive 
in to this conversation with Dan Perlman. My cat might make a, a cameo at some point. She tends to run on, on all Zooms. So, <laughs> What's your cat's name? Crimmins. Crimmins? Yeah, I'll call her Crim. What is what is Crimmins in reference to? I feel like, is this like a, a character that I should know from pop culture or like history no. or some highbrow book? No. <laughs> highbrow book. <laughs> uh, is no, this from uh, a novel? Yeah, yeah. It's, what, oh, you, you haven't read Proust? No, it's, uh, <laughs> no, there was this old, there was this old, uh, like very grumpy Boston comedian named Barry Crimmins, who was a very, like, very, very sweet guy. There's this Netflix documentary about him called Call Me Lucky. Um, mm-hmm. about his life and he, he ended up being like a big like activist and doing a lot of great stuff to like protect uh, uh, kids and like uh, child porn on the internet like doing a lot of like really great active stuff anyway he was always very very sweet to me and uh told me uh i should get a cat and and he passed away a few years ago but um but there was something nice about the idea of this very gruff grumpy old man like living on of this cute little kitten you know is Crimmins still a cute little kitten or has he turned into a grumpy old man? She she definitely has it in her to to be grumpy, but right now she's she's only about a year and change. So um she's definitely a hyper. She plays she plays fetch like all the time, which I guess some cats do. She's obsessed with fetch. <laughs> um, I don't know if cats do that or people that have cats just decide that their cat does it because I feel like that's what I usually hear from anyone who has a cat. You they're just, like, my cat's like a dog. That's what I normally, <laughs> from all my friends that have a cat, they're like, no, but this cat's I, different. I it would, plays fetch. I, I, <laughs> I promise, I promise I am not, I did not like <laughs> intend to do this, but I, I would love, I would love to not play fetch with her anymore because, but every, every moment she will find a wristband or uh, 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 any kind of, um, uh, rubber band or anything and just nudge it up to me and just beg me to throw it and just like nudge it closer and closer until I will finally go throw it and then chase it across the room, you know? Well, you have your cat Crimmins and then back to the comedian Crimmins. uh, Was that someone that you had followed even as you were younger when you were interested in comedy? Have you always wanted to be a comedian? Was this like, you know, everyone's in class saying, I want to be you know, the president or a firefighter and you're like comedian. Definitely. I definitely always wanted to be a comedian. Um, well, I wanted to be in the NBA. That was my first dream. But then uh, I found out it was going to be too short. Uh, I went to a doctor and he was like, you're going to be too short. He was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, well, I'd love to be in the NBA. And he like looked at my chart and he's like, you're going to be too short. And I just started crying and just <laughs> cried. And I cried and I cried. How and old I cried. were you? Probably like seven. I don't know. Yeah. So then, so then I turned eight and I was already like jaded, but then, but then I found comedy and that seemed so fun and there's no hype requirements for that. So, uh, um, no. so that was always, yeah, it was always a thing I was into, but I was very shy. I was very introverted. So I would like write, you know, uh, um, jokes and just notebooks and I wouldn't share them with anybody and just hide them under my bed. I was very, very quiet, but I liked I like joke writing and I like the idea of doing stand up, but it, I was not the class clown. I would quietly whisper one joke to a friend rather than loudly stand up and say a thing, you know? Is that, I, I mean, I wouldn't even know what joke writing was as a kid. Is that something, do you think it's like an element of growing up in New York? It's just like a hub of so many 
you know, like live performances, especially comedy? Maybe. I don't know. Where, where, where did you grow up? Florida. In Florida. Okay. Yeah. 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 I don't know. It's, I, I guess I kind of feel like, I mean, I'm, I was growing up in New York, but you're not even like really hyper aware of that relative to the rest of the world. You're just like, you're, you're, I, mean, your I grew experience up knowing all of like Jimmy Buffett songs. Like I, that's what, right. that was my right. schooling. <laughs> so the fact that you're like, right. I was, you know, experimenting with joke writing, you know, and passing <laughs> along to my friends. No, I, uh, no, I don't know. I think my, uh, my parents, you know, for all, uh, uh, for all the flaws and and uh, damage that gets done, one thing that I'm very <laughs> grateful to them for is they I was ex- they exposed me to a lot of cool stuff, and among that was stand up. And so, you know, we had like a huge CD collection, and so I would just listen to these stand up albums over and over. So that was how I found it initially. And um, there was this Seinfeld documentary comedian that came out in like, I don't know, it was like 2002 or something. So I was like pretty young, but I saw it and I watched it over and over. Cause that was the, he was like, it was like, he'd already done the sitcom and then he's like coming back and trying to write new material and he's just going in at clubs and, and stuff like that. And so that was cool. Cause you could see like, Oh, there's like a process to this and some guys just do it. Like it's not just a thing where, you know, when you're a kid and you, you're looking at people doing a thing, they're just the most famous people in the world. And it feels like you're like, how do they even get to that place? Like, there's no, mm-hmm. but once you learn, oh, there is some kind of track or pathway or something you can like work at in some world where there are comedians, there are comedians who are just doing it, who are not famous, who nobody really knows, but they're just like working at it. And that's in some ways more inspiring than like looking at the most famous people because you're like, oh, there's like a a path here and there's like this is like a world that exists you know instead of just this like these Mount Rushmore of people you know well and also I I think that that it's very known then in the world and comedy it does not happen overnight it is night after night after night after night years and hours and it is not and it's a grind a whole different grind that where part of that grind is just bombing and failing and you have to because that's the only way you actually improve your set what was your first set? How old were you? Where was it? So my first, my first set, which I did not continue, but my first set, I got on stage at some open mic when I was like 14 or 15 and was just totally stared at. It was not a school thing or whatever. So it's just these like older jaded open micers, you know? Were you at like a nightclub? Yeah, it was like some bar. I don't know. It was some, it was some, I don't know, remember why they let me in. I think they just didn't care. And I went up and they just totally, there was no like, oh, let's be nice to this kid or whatever. It was just like, <laughs> we don't care. Go away. <laughs> Get out of here. I was totally, I was totally <laughs> scared off it. Um, in my head, I was like, I was always like, I'll do it again. But I, I didn't, but I didn't until I went to college. I went to Northwestern. Um, and so I would go into Chicago and start to do stand up there at, at open mics. But it's totally what you just said. You just go and you bomb and uh, uh, get stared at. But you can kind of feel it's fun because there is a community of other people doing it, you know. And so you find just like in, in school or anything, you find those people who you're kind of like minded or you like you think they're funny, too. And then, and then in that early stage, you can like feel the you can feel yourself getting better in a way that's exciting, you know. Like you can, 
because when you start, you're so bad, you know? And so you can feel that incremental progress in a way that is a little more like, it's it's just more noticeable to, to you, you know? Well, I mean, I would assume like the, like how you know you're getting better too is people are laughing more when you're performing your set or no, is it just like you, you start to recognize, like you just pick apart certain parts from a set and then end up puzzle, like putting those puzzle pieces together later. Is that the... the- the puzzle piece thing is 100% like a huge part of it in a way that you feel yourself getting better. I mean, I think a big thing is like, I don't know, I always feel like standard. it's very much like when you start, it's very much like, like you're just kind of like a baby, like you're not really aware of like your surroundings or, or anything. You're just kind of like saying words and you're not really, you're not, it's, it, you're not aware of how the other person, the audience is responding. You're not aware of how to be present and you're not aware of how to like balance that presence with, the material or how to, you know, there's like 1 million aspects to it. Like mm-hmm. I took boxing. I'm not good at it, but I took it for a minute and you know, you learn like, it's not just the punches you throw, but it's like every part of your body, like how your toes are angled and like where you keep your hands when you're not there. And like ev- every part of it, it also factors in to, to stand up as well. So I, I, it, a big part of it, yes, it's them laughing, but also you're just being more aware and more present throughout the whole thing, you know, because there's still going to be times it does not go well, but you're more aware of what uh, uh, you're doing in each, in each step, you know, you become more awake. What did you study at Northwestern? I studied education and uh, social policy. There's a school of education and social policy there. And so, like, I wanted to do comedy and and write, but I thought if I didn't have the courage to do it, then maybe I would just like teach because I did a lot of teaching, tutoring, like volunteer stuff when I was a teenager and enjoyed doing it. I don't know. I think a lot of that comes probably from like, I guess my mindset as a teenager was like a lot of it came from like low self-esteem where it's like that volunteering stuff felt good because it's like, you felt like, all right, well, I, I guess here's something I'm like leaving a little better than I found it, you know, because without me, it would just be an empty void, you know? So at least I can try to be there and help a little bit. So anyway, so I did, I did that. But then I started, I was going into Chicago and doing stand-up and I was in a film, all my friends were a film and I, we were in a sketch writing group and we wrote and shot a billion bad sketches. So that was like the community of people that that I was in. But then on, on the Flatbush, on the TV show I made, I played a bad teacher. That, that was kind of how I envisioned. That's who I would have been had I not done comedy, just like a failing teacher, just trying, but just like <laughs> demonstrably out of his depths, you know? Well, it doesn't sound like that from all the volunteer you work you did as a kid. I mean, I that I mean it yeah. it is. That's not how a lot of kids think. I I did not think like that at all. I mean, I keep saying just watching this generation right now yeah. of high school students and what they've been through, not only in the last couple of years, but just like the fact that like they live in a reality of doing active shooter drills, and that's not something our generation dealt with. And no, not and at they're all. Like out there marching and fighting for their rights and. Again, I was just singing Jimmy Buffett and Backstreet Boys, and you know. <laughs> did you like Backstreet Boys more than NSYNC? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Because you know, I, did I too, yeah. like I like the underdog, and I felt like they were the underdog. And speak, that's also were they a very the underdog good documentary. Yeah. <laughs> I think that they were. Yes, they okay, were like yes. because I, they I, were I liked, the OGs, I, and then I liked, NSYNC I liked came them in. More also, yes. <laughs> I mean, they're still together now. 
you know, they're still it's, touring. it's really, yes. yeah, they're still touring. They've just really come out on top. I could do a whole other <laughs> hour just on the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> I'll come back. We'll do a, we'll do a Backstreet. <laughs> Perfect. Um, well, I want to get to obviously Flatbush misdemeanors because um, I'm so mad. It cannot be streamed anywhere. I don't understand it. I'm sure we'll get to why that is because I just started it and then it went away. So part of me is like, welcome. I need you to perform all two seasons. So because I can't get <laughs> I it know, anywhere. <laughs> I know all the lines, so I could, <laughs> I could do it. Um, not as well as some of the other characters, but yeah. When did you move back to New York then? When did you meet Kevin Iso? How, cause we'll get into like the, the conception of it, but how did you get back to New York then? I moved back once I, once I graduated in 2000. 12 and um started just started going and bombing at open mics and it was you know did multiple open mics a night and was stared at every place you could be stared at you know and um and then wanted to keep uh writing and filming other stuff and so Kevin was just a guy I met at open mics and shared a drive to make stuff even if it wasn't great you know which is kind of what you need. Just that, that same willingness to fail in a different area than stand up, just to fail across the board with me, you know? Yep. Something's so, got to stick eventually. Something will. Or you just, and you just get better at it. So then we just made a million sketches back in New York because and New York's like definitely the place to be for stand up because you can just get on stage so much. And, and, you know, I think some people are more comfortable writing up front in the performing has to catch up and then some people are more comfortable performing and then maybe the writing has to catch up and then the best people are are great at both and then the majority are good at neither you know it's like how anything is so i definitely had to catch up in the performing you know so that's why i just wanted to do it a lot in in the city and just kind of get better at it so yeah we started shooting these sketches and we made like i don't know like 16 17 18 you know like one a week and just put them all out and most of them are not online. Most of them are just like very bad, but kind of got better at it. And then I wrote uh, uh, an animated pilot for uh, that ended up selling to Fox. That was like the first like half hour thing I wrote. And so just kind of learned the whole like TV development side of it. And then it didn't go to series. This is probably like 2016. And then we just wanted to like make something, you know, because, you know, you go through those steps of a pilot and you clear these steps and hurdles and everything. And then if it doesn't go to series, nobody sees the thing. So it was like, I just want to like make something and put it out there. And even if 50 people see it, it'll just exist, you know? And so that was when, what Flatbush came from of like, let's just, I came back to New York and was like, just want to like shoot something and just put it up there. And that became like a month later, started shooting Flatbush, which so made it as a short initially. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? 
United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. But so moderately funny was the web series, the the yes. clips that you did. That's not what yes. became Flatbush, right? No, that the it only it sort of became it in terms of like that's when we started working with some comedians who we ended up using in Flatbush, like Kareem Green, who plays my stepdad in the show like we worked with him and it was it was just fun to work with him like so he was just we did some sketch where he's just yelling at me and so then we were writing flatbush i was like i just want kareem to yell at me again so we just wrote wrote him as my stepdad because i was like that would just be funny if he if he's like giving me advice or whatever you know so so that helped because then you just find the people who you vibe with who you like working with who might not even be your uh you know close friends or whatever but you just it, you just the energies kind of match it's just a good a good um sort of a pairing of, of of energies when you were conceptualizing the what would become like the short uh pre flatbush being picked up it was 15 minutes right was the short yes. about yeah it was we'd initially written it as a pilot it was like a 35 page pilot and then we showed it to we barely knew anybody but we showed it to a couple people and they were like, I don't really know what this is. I don't really see it, whatever. And so, and I, I think that's probably, you know, a common response. So we were like, all right, well, let's just make it. And so that we just ripped out anything that would be budget. So we were left with 15 pages of just kind of scraps and shot at piecemeal and, you know, borrowed friends' cameras. And I remember we bribed a janitor on a, a Saturday to let us into a school so we could shoot in the school. And then he was like, okay, but my ki- you have to use my kid. My kid wants to be in it. And his kid, his kid was like, his kid was like this 10 year old who looked, <laughs> looked totally insane. So we just shot him in the corner so we could cut him out. I felt totally bad doing that. But we were just like, it's like, this is like crazy. <laughs> that janitor's like going to all the festivals being like, no, Timmy. He's like, why would they? <laughs> like, Damn it. like, I like totally forgot we did that for a while. I was like, oh yeah, we did totally. Like, yeah, yeah no, it's perfect because then we'll just like pan through or like never just prop them off. Yeah. <laughs> but no, we just you know we were just stealing shots. We had no permits. We just it just totally 
rushed, scrapped together, begged people in delis to let us shoot, you know, behind the counter for a second, you know, just like scrapped our way to get it done. But, um, but I think that stuff helps. I think that that sort of like lack of uh, budget, infrastructure, whatever, always like forces us to be more creative, you know? Yeah. I think so much of that comes from just necessity of like, how do I get this done? And that's why then when we see people whose movies we loved, you know, their early movies, then we see their later ones and they're often bloated and, and bad and nobody's saying no to them and it's four and a half hours and, you know, it's just like an excess. So, but when it's a little more like, when it's a struggle to get the thing through, I think that's where a lot of the coolest shit comes in, you know? Uh, was it called Flatbush Misdemeanors at that time? The mm-hmm. short? Mm-hmm. What was the timeline between showing uh, Flatbush at festivals to it being you getting the phone call, it's picked up, it's going to series? We, I, th- I think, premiered it at a f- festival in like mid like summer, fall 2017. And then it had a festival run for like about a year until like, I want to say like September 2018. And then started, and then that got the attention of production companies. And then we started working with a production company late 2018 and then pitched it to networks early 2019. And we were lucky to get a few, I think we had four offers of the six we pitched to and then started working with Showtime. And then literally it was September 2020 that we got picked up to series. So a year and a half, a year and a half, a year and a half from when Showtime said, we're going to make an, an offer so we had a two script to series deal. So we didn't have to shoot the pilot, just two scripts. And, and that whole process took a year and a half. So it was like, you know, Man. peak COVID, peak COVID when we got picked up. So it was crazy because you went from like doing nothing, like seeing nobody and just complete trapped in our homes to like, okay, now you're going to have to like run and, you know, you have 13, 12 or 13 weeks to, you know, get a whole season together, you know, and then we were on the and air. During and we were COVID, up. like, yeah. And filming within that period of time, which was, is so expensive, like so stressful, all the restrictions and regulations and also first time show running and starring and writing and heading a writer's room. <laughs> like yes. you really got the <laughs> You're just like, I'm just going to cannonball right into the, <laughs> into the ocean. Just drop I, me I out mean, way the, out there. <laughs> The thing that the thing that helped was not really knowing what is normal. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's like it's like in you know in school you you'd got like in class essays. Like I always liked those more because you just had to vomit some words out without questioning, you know? Like if they give you all the time in the world to take it home, I was just gonna like dick around for three months and not do it. But then when they're just like, You have forty five minutes, just do it, you're like, Okay, fine and you just spit it out. So it was kind of like that energy a little bit but i was definitely insanely fried by the end of it and the biggest thing <laughs> for the covid was like not um because it was before people were vaccinated also we shot yeah march it was like february march to may 2021 20, so people were just starting to get vaccinated um but so i couldn't really go out and see other people so you're just so in the throes of and we premiered May 2021. We we wrapped May 8th, 2021 and premiered on the 23rd. Like it was crazy. Which is insane. Crazy. That's ins- yeah. Yeah. And we had, I think we had to like deliver the first three episodes like for press, like while we were shooting block two. We had to like 
have block one finished like as we were about as we were prepping block three like it was something something completely like why do this to ourselves this is like crazy yeah. you know but yeah but i got it done and then i collapsed you know <laughs> <laughs> i feel like at the end of any like tour or like season of a tv show that's when like everyone gets sick like everyone drops down with yes. some sort of virus at the end of it it's just the come down and, and do you feel this when you like finish like a long project it's like when you go from having to do like a million things to then having to do like two or three things it makes it i feel it's so much harder for me to do those two or three things oh you know? yeah yeah like i've just been doing way more stuff at every second of every day somebody needed me to do a thing and then the next day like i just had to meet one person at 2 p.m on zoom and they're like you forgot and i was like yeah i can't i'm sorry <laughs> i couldn't do it it was like the easiest thing in the world <laughs> You just ran a full marathon and they're like, can you walk to the coroner? And you're like, I can't walk to the coroner. That's crazy. <laughs> no chance. Did you still do any stand-up during this? Well, no, because I guess it was COVID. But have you like, even good. during season two, the filming of season two, were you doing any stand-up? Or did you have any like energy to do any of that? Or time? I really, I really didn't. Like in between seasons one and two, I did. Um, and uh, And that was my first time, I guess, really doing it since since COVID, because we went straight from COVID to shooting and then and then between seasons one and two i started doing shows again and i did some thing for comedy central some set and some other stuff like that and then but then it was only that yeah then once and then once we started season two i was like oh maybe i could try while writing and then very quickly like i think one week i had like five spots and i just canceled all of them i was like i can't do this yeah. like i can't I would it's love to do both, but I can't do both. But then once we finished filming, then I started going to the, like going up at the cellar a lot, and the comedy cellar in New York and um, uh, some other places. And, you know, I'll, I'll alternate between going at, uh, up a lot and then needing a break so it can still be fun and then going back, you know. For anyone, I know that you're posting clips of the show on your socials right now. In the anticipation that it will be streamable at some point, like, is, I don't know the politics of that, but could you share yeah. with our listeners a little bit about, like, what the show was about? Obviously, it took place in the area of Flatbush in New York. Mm-hmm. You know, you talked about how you were a degenerate teacher of sorts. <laughs> degenerate. <laughs> but, or is that just my spin on it? No. It's just a very funny word. Um <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's yeah, it's set in Flatbush, Brooklyn. The show is called Flatbush Misdemeanors. It was a comedy on uh Showtime. It's centered on uh my character's name is Dan, as is uh, mine. So uh, Dan Joseph is the character and he's a he's a shitty public school teacher in Flatbush with a Xanax addiction and uh and he has a friend, uh, Kevin, who is like an old childhood friend and he delivers uh food. In the first season, so in the first season, basically, Kevin knocks over food, uh, uh, food delivery for this drug dealer played by Hassan Johnson, who uh, people might know from The Wire and Clockers and a lot of a lot of great stuff he's been in. Basically, we get tangled up into Hassan's uh, orbit, and his niece also happens to be in my character's class. So there's a lot of uh, crisscrossing and, and small world, and so. You know, they're just kind of, it's like a lot of like day-to-day sort of comedy, but very joke dense. And it's like, you know, single cam grounded, but also like high stakes. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I was very proud. of It's a weird show to describe. So I was always very impressed with the 
Showtime like marketing people because I would be like, man, I would have no idea how to uh, market or explain this show to people. But yeah, so it just they're they're just kind of living in Flatbush and, and trying to uh, avoid uh, Hassan um, beating up my guy, and uh, they just keep bumping into each other and stepping on each other, and that's kind of how I think of New York. Did you and Kevin live in Flatbush for a period of time, or did I maybe miss yeah, I, read or hear that? Okay. Yeah, we did, did not not together, but uh, uh, yeah, I lived in Flatbush for th- three. Three and a half years, but really, just great, great area. It's sort of like south of Prospect Park, and and it's very, it's very, a very cool. It very much feels like its own place, like an island on an island, and, and there's it's a largely Caribbean neighborhood, and it's it's one of those like neighborhoods where you can go two blocks in any direction and feel like you're in a very different world. You can find a lot of T shaped streets and like old architecture and then you could find a street with a bunch of dollar stores and so it's just, it's nice when you can in this very compressed setting feel like you're immersed in a lot of different worlds but everyone is just kind of like blended together and so that just feels like a very cool fun setting for for a show where you just have a lot of different people just organically thrown together you know and it is a, it's a fantastic setting for a show and the show that was also like critically acclaimed I mean, just so many wonderful things said about it. Um, I know it's like the not fun part of the conversation, but I did you I I mean, everything that I was reading and seeing was very uh, promising of a season three. Was that something that was completely caught off guard? Or if it's something political you can't really get into, that's fine, too. It was not unexpected. I, I saw it coming for... You know, there's, as I'm sure you know, there's always one million other reasons beyond, um, you know, yes. Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. But um, yes. <laughs> so I was not shocked. I had a great experience with it. <laughs> I I loved, um, I don't know. I just, I feel like, felt like incredibly fortunate to have gotten to make that show and, and, and like you said, just kind of got thrown into a lot of these roles that I had never done before. And then getting through that on such a time crunch and then getting to do a second season where you just feel very like, you know, you just learn so much from season to season. You know, you yeah. just, you, you figure out how to write for the different, uh, uh, now you know which actors are playing these characters and you can write for them better and you can, you feel more comfortable yourself doing it. And I got to direct in the second season also. And it was just like all these, I mean, it was just like, yeah, an incredible. And you work with all the different departments and seeing there, how good they are, like, and how specific they are, makes your writing better in a way. It's like, no, it was just like, which is a really, really great um, experience. And, uh, and uh, Happy to, happy to tell you offline all all the, all the dirt <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> <laughs> no but to, to what you're saying like I know it's it, like having I have a very unique experience of really only like my biggest job ended up lasting a very long time so all I right. know is serialized television like that's it so sure. for me it's I'm like yeah doesn't every show go for like eight season nine months right. out of the year like that's the norm right, right? it's not right. normal at all um sure. but it, it like something that I do appreciate about being on at least like a series is that it becomes this playground of creativity like to exactly to what you're saying you get to know 
the other players in the game where for the writers, they get to kind of utilize elements of their, um, not necessarily their personality, but the cadence of their voice and know like how they deliver, whether it's a joke or a speech or a beat, and they can play into that. And mm-hmm. everyone gets to know each other's dance moves and become like yes. this more mecha- like machine that really just works so well together. And that's like the magic that I think is so totally. fun to chase when you're making yeah, it. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a band or it's like a sports team that the teams that have played together a long time, like they just know, I know I could pass it here and Hassan will go get it. You know, like you just know everybody's uh, uh, tendencies and I can, I know like, oh, these two, that energy will be fun with that. Like it just makes everything, you just, you just see it play out. So you just can keep getting better at it. So that's, that's what's so fun to me about the idea of, of television and, and doing more of that because it just feels yeah that that constant discovery and honing is is so fun you know are you a tv guy or a film guy or like all the, like i'm a tv person like if you if we were at a one of those like game nights with like a trivia night and if it was yeah. movies i'd be like my team would be screwed Like we might like, do not ask me anything (laughs) unless it's a rom-com. I'm so fucking predictable. But like if it, but like television, I'm in. What's your favorite favorite rom-com? Rom-com. Well, it's, uh, so my favorite rom-com is French Kiss with Meg Ryan and Kevin Klein, but you can only get on, get it on DVD now. You can't stream that anywhere either. Yeah. So maybe you just put it out on DVD. I bought a DVD player (laughs) for, (laughs) I ordered it all on Amazon. (laughs) I need to get one. I, I need to get a DVD player too. This is the, all this streaming stuff, which we'll get into, has made me really reappreciate physical media. Yes, yes, but it's funny because everything like TV looks so different now than it did even just ten years ago, and the way that it's made. And I mean, it used to be like for anyone in the industry, there would be pilot season where you know that it's right. this concentrated period of time. That for anyone that's not in the industry, that was at the beginning of the year. Like all the pitches would be going on towards the fall and then you kind of get it into pilot season in the beginning of the year where they're casting and then networks and studios would like cherry pick a bunch of TV shows to make one episode of it. And then whichever of those episodes they wanted to get would end up on air that summer or that fall. And that was it. And everyone would, but that's even a better way of like how people like creatives and writers and casting and everyone within the industry would know that there'd be more and more work coming up. Whereas now, I mean, even just hearing you describe that, you know, from 2017 all the way up until 2020, it's like you're, you have like a pitch that gets picked up and it's like, how do you, how does anyone sustain anything? And that all leads me back also to the writer's strike that's currently happening. And for a lot of people who aren't in the industry who don't understand why suddenly the Writers Guild has decided to strike and why TV is going to look different now and everything's all thrown off and why late night hosts aren't really don't know what to talk about and The View is just making things up, you know, which (laughs) (laughs) isn't that... Yeah, that's got like that's the fun, that's the fun of started, watching. That's, that's the, the fun, fun of watching that show. Yeah, yeah. they're just saying words. <laughs> when Whoopi Goldberg is going like, so I guess we have to talk about a Vanderpump rules. I don't know what that means. Boy, daytime daytime TV is the best. It's because it's it feels like nobody is controlling anything. It's such a huge no. part 
there's 24 hours a day and it feels like a good eight hours. They're just yeah. saying shit. They're just throwing words out, just totally like un- unchecked because nobody's producing anything. They're just <laughs> turning the cameras on and just letting the view girls go. It's just like yep. every single one of those it. shows. I love, I love it. it. I want to know exactly what Whoopi Goldberg thinks of Tom Sandoval. Um, but I actually want to know what uh, for you... <laughs> Yes. Getting back to what's important, not Backstreet Boys yes, yes, or Vander yes. Pump Rules, but yes. um, for like for you, like for your experience in these last couple of years of, you know, especially not only just being a, a writer in a writer's room, but also head writer, head co-writer, head showrunner. How can you, is there anything you want to say to anyone who doesn't understand what's going on to maybe bring some clarity? Can you teach us all about the writer's strike? That's why I brought <laughs> sure. you here today. <laughs> sure, sure. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a million issues that I think if you ask any writer, like, you know, they're going to talk about the issue that is, has sort of impacted them. And there are ones who are at different levels who could probably speak to their issues better. But the one the ones I could definitely speak to, like, that I think people could like concretely understand is like, you know, when we were growing up, like all most TV shows that we watched had longer season orders. They would you know, 22 mm-hmm. episode seasons uh, uh, or, you know, 16 or th- even 13. And now most, so many season orders, unless it's like a network uh, show, like a, an Abbott or like a law and order or something um, are going to be, eight episodes, 10 episodes, even six, like those are all the Emmy nominated shows. Um, and so what happens because of that is writers have um, uh, shorter jobs for a short amount of time. So writers spend more time in between these jobs. So writers spend more time looking for work that they can't find. And writers are less likely to earn enough to keep their health insurance. So, I mean, what's what's happening in writing is they're, they're very much, it's all very late capitalist, like gig economy, like they're Ubering the field of writing. It's, it's making it way more gig-based and way more um, desperate to kind of scrap together uh, living where there's like less than zero security. And because writers have more time in between these jobs, they're more dependent on residuals. And uh, a huge amount of how people watch, how we watch anything is through streaming. And the streaming residuals are much, much lower. And the streamers also are much, very... Much, much lower. <laughs> much, much lower. And they also very much, streamers very much lack transparency for how these shows are doing. They don't release that. They might release a PR statement for them saying like this show premiered to, to a big, big viewership when they want to like pat themselves on the back, but they're not concretely releasing in the way that, you know, you Seinfeld rerun, you could see like a million people watched Seinfeld on TBS. You can't do that with these shows on Hulu, on Netflix, on anything like that. So as a result, writers, showrunners, like don't know how to renegotiate. You don't know. So many showrunners are like, I don't know how my show is doing. Like, there was a whole article about that in Vulture with showrunners being like, I have no idea how my show is doing because you don't know the viewership for any of any of it. You get shortchanged in the in the residuals of it all. Um, the streamer, the yeah, the streamer thing to me that's like one of the frustrating things is I feel like studios are still trying to act like streaming is like. The last writer's strike happened 15 years ago, which yeah. didn't impact me. I was a kid, so I was just watching 
Conan spin his wedding ring on the desk because he couldn't write any segments. Did you ever see that? He, yeah. he would do this funny, he would do this funny, because he had no writers, so he'd be like, let's see how long I can spin my wedding ring on the desk. So he would just spin it in a circle <laughs> for a while, you know? But um, but that was that was largely about the idea of like writers getting paid for content online. And like studio's argument then was like, well, we don't even know if you can make money on the internet, you know? Like something that obviously it's like nonsense, you know, just complete uh, uh, insanity. And so this kind of is following that similar pattern of studios it's funny because at studios, on the one hand, they're telling writers like, look, streaming, it's just not profitable. We got to make cuts. But then on the other hand, are having these earnings calls and telling shareholders like, we're about to make $50 million this year from streaming. We're about to make... So they're telling investors how much money they're making and going to make, well, at the same time, crying poverty. Um, so that's a couple aspects of it. And then, and then a, a big one, a more existential one. And also feel free to jump in and... and no, I'm just going to let you keep babbling. on going. Just keep babbling. <laughs> a more existential one is the issue of uh, AI and the use of AI. Yeah. And this is the one that bums me just out insane. the most. It's crazy, but it's also inevitable. And they're not engaging with it as a real thing, but they also know. So what writers have asked for, what the negotiating committee, which I'm not on, uh, has asked for, and they've released all the like documents, so you can see this mm-hmm. online, is um, for studios to commit to not using AI technologies now or developed in the future for script writing or rewriting. Um, and also to not, and to me this is the more important one, to not uh, use WGA registered scripts to feed AI to make it um, to teach it, to teach it, which to me, that's the more like cynical or frustrating part to me. Cause it's like, look, if you can, if you can program a bot that's going to write the best scripts in the world, like go do it, go do it fine. But they can't do that. So what they would have to do is give it, uh, uh the Godfather and Shawshank Redemption and when Harry met Sally and all of these scripts. And then you're going to have a bot that spits out just kind of some amalgamed, it's just mass plagiarism machine. Like it's just going to kind of take all of this work from humans and spit out that. So this is the long-term concern. There's not, I don't believe there's the technology to do this now, but that is 1000%. It's, it's only a couple chess moves ahead, what that is going to be. So then, you know, what is the risk of what could happen there is like, they'll, They'll give it a template and say, like, we want a, a rom-com with, you know, a, a Hemsworth on the moon or something. And then they'll have an AI write some, some like, version of that. And then they'll hire a, hu- a human writer and pay them, like, a day rate to come do, like, a human task on this, like, templated script. And then they'll just fill. So, uh, that's speculative, but also yeah, yeah, but- it, is, it is what's going to happen, you know? Man, but- that sounds terrible. That sounds awful. Right. Which and is why everyone, you know, so that, so that can't happen, obviously, which is why I'm very happy to see so many friends and my writer friends and showrunner friends all picketing and very much in support of the WGA. Um, it's, sure. it's insane. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I get asked so often about like, how does one, how do I become an actor? How do you like, (laughs) what is, what is it like? And, and, uh, especially after hearing everything that you've just said, have you had a lot of young like do when you do encounter young writers or anyone who wants to like make their own show one day like what do you tell them about the business especially the version of the business that you've experienced in the last couple years which is a very unique version um like the little filming that I did in the last two years I was like this is a whole new book like this is completely different completely different for sure yeah, it's almost like it's almost like the the business side of it. Like for somebody just starting, I would almost have like no idea how to like advise them on that element of it. Um, but the thing that I do speak to when 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 asked, and that I think is only thing, I think it's just like however, like any way you can continue to create and control your own stuff. That's the only stuff you have control of. We have no ultimately have no real control of whatever they're going to program the robots to do. We have no real control of a lot of the, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. And so all we can control, all I can control, all somebody starting can control is just to, is just to write is just to, which sounds so annoying. I remember when I was starting comedy and I asked people for advice and they were like, you just got to go do it. And I was like, uh, I thought they were like, I thought they were just being annoyed. I thought they were just withholding some answer. You know what I mean? But, um, but that's really just what, what it is. And, and I think a big part of it is also just like trusting what, what you think is funny or interesting or when you're willing to put in the work and, uh, be bad at initially, you know, anything I've, anything I've written, the first draft is always bad every single time. And, and I just slowly will chip away and try to make it less bad, you know? And so, and so, and again, it's only upon doing that. Like that's what I did with, with Flatbush and that's what I've done with other stuff I have done or whatever is just continue to chip away at it. And then having those things that I've made, um, just small independent things or some, some independent short, like once those opportunities have come, they've been able to look at these small things I've done myself as proof that, you know, I'm not going to, I probably won't set their money on fire, you know? <laughs> um, if you did have to have a robot do something for you for good, what what kind of robot would you program for your That's personal really life? That's a really good question. Now we're, now we're getting to the hard hitting questions. That's really good. Um, <laughs> it, does, it doesn't have to be a work that you could just be like anything in life. Anything in life. The Dan J. Perlman robot <laughs> that you are programming. It's very weird. It's very weird hearing your handle said aloud. <laughs> but it's just because there was just because some Dan Perlman wouldn't give me wouldn't give me the handle. What is your middle name? Joseph. Yeah. Here's my cat. Hello, Crimmins. I'd have a I'd have a robot take you away. 
No, <laughs> I'm um, no uh, uh, I always find it that the smallest things in like in like uh, uh, housework, like I feel like it's whenever I'm at the like whenever I'm at the two yard line of finishing some housework or some chore, that's when I get the most like, man, I don't want to do this, you know. So it's like if I do laundry, like like putting the clothes away or when I take out the trash, putting new trash bags in the thing, something about being like <laughs> so close to being done. Like I've done most of the work, but just being on that five yard line, like whenever I'm like, whenever I'm like heading home or something and I'm like two blocks from home, that's when I'm the most like irritated. I'm just like, over oh my it. God, I just want to be home. I'm so over it. Yes. A hundred percent. So something, if there's a robot that could like guide me through just a you know like a running back you just hand it off to and they can just uh-huh. like barrel barrel in you know a little relay well, robot exactly what would you use yours for cardboard boxes it would break like down cardboard them down. boxes yes that's smart yeah that's cool yeah that's it <laughs> just that's it that's- <laughs> doesn't do anything else. No, that's a, Just Candace's cardboard box robot. <laughs> no, he works all day. Yeah, <laughs> it gets to charge the rest of the time. You know, it's yeah, a very it's, simple uh, existence. Just charge that's up. It. Yeah, that's a cool. Says like yeah. scissor hands. Yeah, I very much support that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. You know, maybe that'll be my next my next gig. We'll see how Your long project yeah. happens. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. I would chat oh, your course. ear off all afternoon. Um, but I want to leave with five more questions. Just five simple okay. questions. Okay. <laughs> it's like a little word association, a little conversation cool down. First okay. thing that pops into your head. It can be a sentence as well. Okay. Um, but can you please tell us something that you like? The first thing that pops in my head. Sorry, I'm getting, I'm yeah. getting. Yes, yes. The hang of it. What um, was in your head? What popped in there? The, th- the first thing that popped into my head was there's a place uh, near me where I'll get like a, I get like an uh, egg wrap, and just something about it's just the most basic thing, but something about how they do it at this at this deli, I just I, I just like it, and I think I didn't get it today, and that's why it popped into my head. Is it an egg salad wrap? Is it like a scrambled no, a, egg wrap? It's like egg, those little egg white, um, mushroom, uh, tomato. It's and just, just like a nice uh, healthy thing, but it just feels like a good uh, energizing thing. I would not, uh, again, without having thought, I would choose other things that I like in the world, but you're asking what the first thing that popped into my head was. And it was that. that was so whatever assignment. that means. Okay. Yes. Okay. I, I can't, I, I wouldn't say I would, I wouldn't say I would like, like really double down on this under close scrutiny, but <laughs> like that's that been part is, of your resume, like a very important yeah. thing about. Dan- <laughs> yeah. My strengths. <laughs> I, Sorry, that's just what I was thinking about. no, no, I, I eat the unhealthy version. Well, maybe I shouldn't yeah. say unhealthy like from Starbucks, but it is mm-hmm. that version and I get it double oh, toasted, which they call DT. I have, I've, I have had that one and that one's very the egg white too. spinach feta wrap. Yeah. But if you DT, yes. Double toast. It is. Delicious. I had that. I had yes. I had that in in uh, in L.A. and that became a go to when I was living near a Starbucks. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. Something that you know. I'm not sure I know anything. Um, I know. Okay. This is uh, randomly that I just learned. I saw. I was in um, uh, 
Las Vegas this weekend. A friend had a, a bachelor party. I'd never been to Las Vegas before. He really wanted to see a David Blaine magic show. I don't know why. He's seen him multiple times. So this is what we ended up doing. Anyway, so he holds his breath underwater. This is the big finish, right? And, um, and so now I know the world record for underwater breath holding, which is which 24 is? minutes. 24 minutes. Wow. From David Blaine? So, no. David Blaine, the most he did was 17 minutes. And so I don't want to say he's bad at what he does, but I will say he's not the best. That some Serbian guy is a little better at that. <laughs> did you get to meet him? I did not get to meet him, no. Okay. I, I was going to um, say, did you get invited to the secret island? There's like an island. <laughs> is there an island? Is there a secret Blaine Island? Wait, tell me what you know. It sounds like what you know is <laughs> more interesting than I, I know. Oh boy, there's something interesting <laughs> okay. going on there. It's something that you hate. Um, the, the trash bag thing I was talking about, just being That's so close nice. to the edge there. Okay, fair. Something that you love that is not friends or family, but that like you love. I, I like um, two things that popped into my head was I, I very much like um, whenever I take a walk, whenever I'm getting frustrated in writing or whatever, and I take a walk in like a park or some greenery area, and it's even somewhat nice, I'm in a, just a much, much better mood. And so something about the greenery and trees and small escape, I think, always makes me much, uh, much less grumbly, you know? And basketball and, was the um, other thing. I'll play basketball. Kind of and basketball. And basketball. Yeah. Um, do you think about the doctor whenever you're playing? You're like, oh, like <laughs> score point. You're like, fuck you, doctor. I yeah, am I a basketball player. I definitely, yeah, I definitely imagine. I'm like, I'm just like dunking and I'm like, fuck you, Dr. Skog. And he's like, what? You're like, what are you talking about? Was his name Dr. Skog? <laughs> I feel like it might have been. If, if, if. If it was not, and I just called out a random doctor, I apologize. But if it was you, I meant that. Okay, and last but not least, a quirky little fact about you. No, she's the first pet um, I've had a, until I was a kid. Once, when I was a kid, I uh, had a frog. My parents didn't want to get me. I wanted a dog or a cat, but they said they were allergic. They were not allergic. It was just a smart. It's just a smart excuse to say, you know, because you're not going to like. I'm not going not to get you tested. You know, I'm just going to believe it, you know, <laughs> and. Uh, so they got me a frog. So I had a frog. It was like it came in a Ziploc bag in the mail. And, uh, in the and mail? I had, yeah, How do like you mail a it. frog? You, well, just, put it in like the, overnight, you just put it in the yeah. mailbox and then let them take it, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> Did your frog have a name? <laughs> well, so this is the – so there were two of them. One of them was oh. uh, uh, I called Spooky, and the other one was just the frog because I couldn't think of another name. And then they're like, well, you don't have to, you don't have to name it until you think of one. And then I just moved on to other things. So I just never thought of one. Anyway, that was the one that lived until I was maybe 21 or so. It lived like 16 Seriously? years. Mm -hmm. Frogs live yeah. that long? I think certain ones, like the really strong ones do, you know, like the, probably like the 24 minute breath hold version of them, you know, like the ones that really, like the real champions. Um, uh -huh. But yes, so that's 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 a that's a fun fact that very few people know or care about. Well, like your frog, frog, Dan, I believe you are one of the champions, and <laughs> <laughs> you always say that. <laughs> you had that every <laughs> you you had that outro planned, no matter what I said. 
<laughs> um, thank you so much for hanging. Thank you for uh, talking about uh, Flatbush misdemeanors. And I really do look forward to when I can stream it. We can all stream it once again. And more importantly, um, the other side of this writer strike, whatever you have that you've been working on, because it's going to be fantastic. But big fan over so here. Much. So uh, this was very fun. I really, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Yay. Yeah. Well, thank you. I want to say thank you so much to everyone who goes and rates and reviews this podcast. It means a lot. It, it immediately shows us what you're liking about the podcast. It's a wonderful way to support the podcast. So if you haven't already, give us a shout. Give me a shout. I want to say thank you to Allie B., you said it uh, feels real and honest. Uh, you said it said in the title, these episodes always feel real and honest, which is one of the reasons you enjoy listening. Thank you so much. It means the world. I want to say also thank you to Danny Ham. You recently posted a review saying that uh, that you feel this podcast is a joy and, and that you enjoy the insightful conversations that I have with my guest and that you love um, my Coke brew conversations. They're cold brew conversations. Two very different substances, two very different op- uppers. I just want to point that out. So it is cold brew, but <laughs> but this made me laugh. So I just wanted to share that. I think you meant to say cold brew, but it really gave me a giggle that you wrote you wrote Coke brew conversations. <laughs> Um, but my cold brew conversations, you enjoy them. You look forward to them every week. Thank you so much. I look forward to recording them every week. I feel like it's a really personal way I get to interact with you guys. So if you have an opportunity, please take a moment, go rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to it. I would love to give you a shout out as well as head over to uh, my socials on at a super bloom pod send me your questions send me some life advice that you're looking for a dilemma a precarious situation that you're trying to navigate and i would love to give you a shout out on my monday morning cold brew conversations and try to help you out while i'm super caffeinated on multiple cups of cold brew because that's how i roll that's how i kick off my week thank you guys so much i hope you enjoyed this episode take care This has been a Superboom podcast, hosted by me, Candace King, produced by Melissa D. Montz and Diamond Imprint Productions, and advertisement partnerships with ACAST.